Hey there, Internet. This is Jeff Muller from TheJerd.com here. And today, I'm super happy to bring you this interview with Geek & Sundry's Ryan Day. As you probably know, TheJerd.com is all about positive health and fitness tips with a fun and geeky bent to them. So there should be no surprise that we talk about his views on fitness and health. But what might come as a bit of a surprise, because I know it did for me, was how deep he and I got. Sincerely, folks, this is a great conversation with someone who I found an immense amount in common with. Everything from our fitness philosophies to our humble beginnings on dial-up internet to an unbridled love of the Ultima Game franchise. So it's, it's fantastic. I'm super happy that you sat down with me. But also, before we get started, a big thanks to the great folks at the Geek Initiative Podcast Consortium for hosting this. Make sure you're listening to all they have to offer. So sit back, ease this occasionally not safe for work interview into your ear holes, and enjoy. Now drop and give me 20! Well, readers of the site know how huge of an influence Geek and Sundry has been on me and, and how proud I am to be a part of that community. You know, Simply put, if it weren't for Geek and Sundry, um, this website wouldn't exist. I would have never written my books. Uh, I wouldn't have helped the people I've helped improve their hells and lives. Um, so it's a definite pleasure to sit down tonight and chat with someone who's become an integral part of that community um, and someone who I think exemplifies both halves of the Jared equation, jock and nerd. Of course, I'm talking about Ryan Day. Thanks for joining <laughs> me, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Good evening, Jeff. How are you tonight? I'm doing all right. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Uh, we spoke at Comic-Con some months ago, and I think we kind of went back and forth, and we had a couple of vacations in between in there, uh, you on yours, mine on mine, and uh, we finally managed to... Uh, to make our schedules work, and I'm, I couldn't be more happy to, to talk with you tonight. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so, how was Comic Con for you? Good experience? It was. It was. It was a mixed bag. Uh, like uh, <laughs> like a lot of people of our ilk, I don't do too well around large crowds, and it's hard to find a larger crowd than Comic Con. Yeah. Um, it was a touch commercial for my tastes. Uh, the best time I had were at the Geek and Sundry area there at Petco Stadium, and in what they call the Artist's Alley, which are oh, yeah. where they mm -hmm. actually stick all of the comic book artists that actually go to Comic-Con. And it was really cool. Um, the The standout for me was talking to the guy, uh, and it, his name escapes me right now that I'm on the spot, but uh, he and he wrote the Sam and Max uh, comic, the the old school comic that the LucasArts game Sam, Sam and Max oh, yeah, wrote yeah, yeah. based okay. off of. Yeah. And you know, he's basically like a legend in the comic book world, and he's just... We just shot the shit, to be honest with you, for, for two or three minutes, and that was really, really great. Um, I got a couple of pieces of artwork commissioned, so it's always good to throw some Ds at, at, uh, right. at the independent artists. You know, when all of the attention was going to the, the more commercial booths for the large production companies and things like that, and you could actually sit and talk to the people responsible for making of the content that we all love so much, uh, that was a privilege. So those two were the standout things for me. That's cool. Was this your first Comic-Con in San Diego? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely oh, was. No I, way. I mean, I've had the opportunity to go um, before, but things have always popped up. You know, I I work a full time schedule, a fairly intensive jobs in the the IT software engineering type industry, and so it's really rare that I can get kind of periods of time off. Uh, but I I made it work this time, and it was really a great experience, and I'll do it again like any time. Well, obviously, Geek and Sundry fans know who you are. But for those of you that maybe don't follow that particular community, do you mind telling my readers a little bit about yourself before I start throwing questions at you? 
Um, I mean, uh, my sister is Felicia Day, so the last name isn't a coincidence. Uh, we do a show on the Geek and Sundry Network called Co-Optitude, which essentially is where, well, it originally started out as she and I got together to play the kind of console games that we never got to play as kids because we didn't have console units. We just had right. you know, PCs, uh, other home PC-type computers. So it started out as us playing console games, and it's kind of branched out more into... Uh, newer indie games and things like that, and so the show has uh, the show's kind of transmogrified to more showcase the relationship between me, myself, and my sister, as well as guests uh, we have occasionally, such as Game Grumps and mm-hmm. uh, I Am Cupquake, and of course Will Wheaton was on the Nidhog episode, and that was a tremendous amount of fun too. Um, other than that, we also do a live stream on Sundays when she's not on a book tour. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, the Sunday Twitch stream has been uh, has been on hiatus since the the book release, uh, but it should be returning at some point. And I also stream on Twitch, uh, I aim for once or twice a week, and that has been gone the wayside because I started a new job back in oh, April. Okay. But things have settled down a bit, so that should start up again uh, imminently. So. That kind of covers the the geek content. Uh, nice. You, yeah. Well, I mean, we're definitely going to talk about fitness uh, and how it plays a part in your life. But mm-hmm. I, I wanted to start with just getting to know the geeky side of you a little sure. bit. You know, have you always been someone who is into nerdy stuff? And you mentioned that you and Felicia had, you know, PCs and whatnot growing up. Is that always Absolutely. been a part of your life? Yeah. You know, my grandfather was kind of a, a interesting dude. He was a nuclear physicist, and so he he used uh, PCs a lot in his work. And he was he had a very early you know, he was very early adopter of PCs are these things that are going to change the world. And so he actually gave, uh, gave, I guess, my, our mom, his daughter, a, a uh, compact PC. And so from, from that point on, we were more or less hooked on the damn thing. Um, and so my sister actually learned to program before I did. Um, I'm the one who kind of followed that into a career path. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we were both quite well-versed in, in computer nerd type stuff from very, very early ages, like, uh, you know, mid to upper single digits in, in oh, years. That's awesome. That's about the same time that I got into computer stuff too. Yeah. That's a good yeah. age for that, I think. Um, and you were, you were homeschooled, correct? Yes. Myself right. and my sister were both, were both homeschooled from an early age. So we never set foot inside a public school classroom. The, the first time I set foot inside a classroom was when I went to, uh, went to community college starting at age 18 and that was the first time I'd actually ever been inside of a uh, inside of a, cl- a school classroom so um, you know you can imagine the kind of dearth of social interaction but also the kind of uh, the opportunities that you have to be more introspective and to to pursue a lot of geeky pursuits you know that might have not been possible had I had a social life <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, not that I'm bitter or anything like that right, right every right. every experience you go through makes up a little bit of who you are and as long as you're more or less happy with that then what do you have to complain about really um, but so you know uh, me and my sister we were both a very very bookish from a very mm. early age you know we were both devour you know countless sci-fi fantasy novels she was more into the fantasy realm than I was I remember her reading the interminable Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan at the time right. from a very, very early age. And I was kind of enamored with the the kind of pulp fiction hmm. type novels that were written in the, in the 1940s and the 1950s up to the Destroyer series. Um, 
by Warren and Sapir, which were written in the 70s. And those were a martial arts kind of pulp action book series that I really loved. Um, and, you know, stuff like uh, role-playing games, uh, things of that nature. Um, uh, we were both very enamored of computer role-playing games as well as pen and paper RPGs from an early age playing online on bulletin boards usually. Nice, so. nice. Well, I guess my question about the homeschooling and why I asked that, mm-hmm. did you identify as being a geek growing up or was it just who you were? I, I guess what I'm asking is did the lack of that public school experience change the concept of cliques and how you identified yourself? Yeah, you know, you're at a very big disadvantage when it comes to dealing with social groups, right? Because, you know, you're you're unfamiliar with the, you know, how to get along with people, right? Mm. Uh, because, you know, you have the the different conventions of social interaction, which really don't, they don't come except through exposure to that. And, you know, it's very mystifying when you're really young and, you know, people just insult you for fun, you know, getting cut, you know, you know, cutting other people down and things like that when you're, you're kind of, you're kind of, uh, you know, virginal in terms of that mentality where you kind of believe the best in people and you haven't been, you haven't been, you know, melted in the crucible of, of childhood cruelty and then reformed, you know, you know, hammered out into something strong and brittle, you know, like so many people get. Um, and you kind of maintain that idealism. And I still believe the best in people when I probably shouldn't sometime. It's kind of my re- uh, reflex. And uh, in, in the interesting, the really interesting part of your question would be, well, do you identify as a geek, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're homeschooled, you don't have a basis for comparison, right? right? You, you don't have like a, you don't have a true north, so to speak, mm-hmm. that's been, that's been kind of drilled into you. And it's weird, you know, you, you take a lot of social cues from movies and media that you digest, like, you know, acting or internalizing, you know, the, the virtues from the, the virtues from the, the origin systems, Ultima games, for instance, which has a yeah. ethical system laid out and you kind of, you, you grab what you can and you grab what you have available to you and you make that part of who you are. And, you don't say that, oh, I'm a geek or I'm this or that because you're just the way you are and you have very few bases for comparison a- apart from that until you, you get out into the wide world and you start comparing yourself to other people, right? So that's a, that's a really interesting question. It's like, no, you're just you. Right. It's like you are what you are. Um, and then you, you begin to refine your your internal concept of who you are as you finally begin to interact with other people. So have you always been comfortable with yourself and your interests or when you made that transition to community college, were you kind of in shock and did you suffer from any sort of nerd shame? I asked that because I ran through that same thing where I, there was a point in time where I was, I had nerd shame bad and I, I didn't want to ad- admit to people that I loved the things that I love. No, I mean, it, it's true, but you know, you, you find it difficult to get a word in edgewise, you know, you, you see other people talking and socializing, and you get a odd feeling of otherness, right? To mm-hmm. the point where you don't even want to start to broach a conversation because you, you can kind of get the sense that you don't have very much in common with these other people, right? And it's very, right. you know, to the adolescent, to the young, mid-teenager mind, it's a very damaging, I think. It's very easy to be very hard on yourself, and you'll be like, oh, like that girl's so pretty, but she'll never want to talk to me. Right. You know, like that kind of thing, which is like the, most cliche thing in the universe but it's absolutely true so true there's like a, 
there's a reason that it's a cliche, right? Right. And and this hits guys, this hits young men and young women who are normally socialized, like, oh, she'll never want to talk to me. And, and you know, much less imagine that it hits somebody who already feels conspicuous because they didn't have the benefit of the same kind of socialization that the people you're crushing on did. Right, right. You know, and so, yeah, I had a very strong sense of otherness. And, you know, to some degree that, that follows you throughout your entire life, I feel, right? Because you are get used to having these non-mainstream activities and these non-mainstream hobbies. And, you know, it's, it's hard to find your tribe, I guess, is the yeah. way to put it. The, you know, I think that if you look at the, the high school or even college uh, you know, situation, there's always like the chess club or whatever, and there's always a group of outcasts, right, that you can join. Right. But if you're homeschooled, you don't, you don't even have that, right? It's true, it's true. And then that's kind of where the online thing comes in, you know, and, and that's where that was an incredibly valuable tool for socialization for me personally, mm. you know. Um, my sister got to college at a very early age. I think she went to the Uni- University of Texas, and she was like 16 or something like that. And that was still kind of like, you know, moribund, for several more years after she was. So she started having college friends very early on. Hmm. And and she had social pursuits like she did uh you know, acting in stage plays and musicals and things like that. And I was always far more introverted in terms of my my pursuits than she was. And so I had it kinda a lot worse than she did even, you know. Hmm. Um and and when she did go to UT, she got a uh, a dial up internet account through the through the university. And immediately, I, I became the primary user of that fucking thing, I'll tell you right now. Uh, and, and so that's kind of where I, I got some of my earliest and strongest social groups, again, with people who I still talk to this day. And this has been well over 20 years, you know, 21 years, wow. I think. Um, over 21 years since I first got on the internet. And some of the very first people I started hanging out with, I still talk to to this very day. And I'm going to one of their weddings here in a month or two. Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, you know on the the spread of online communities i think was very uh was very nascent when i first got online and it's just expanded rapidly so that anybody with any interest can find a strong social group and strong social proof these days i feel and that's really great to people who might not have access to that if they live in a small town Definitely. because you know as the reason why my sister and I were homeschooled was that our dad was in the military and we moved around quite a bit. And predominantly the places that we lived, we were in small armpit-like communities in the southeastern United States. You know, mm-hmm. no offense to any of your 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 listeners out there, um, but it's true. Uh, having, <laughs> having lived it, uh, you get very little socialization for people who were interested in geeky pursuits at that time. So yeah. for people who are in that situation, the internet is a an amazing relief valve for to meet those needs. You know, mm-hmm. no, definitely, it makes makes complete sense. I mean, I remember getting on the internet back in its early days through things like CompuServe and Prodigy bulletin boards and things yep. like that, and it was amazing to find people that that were like me. Uh, yep. it, it was it was freeing in a sort of way. You know, it was very sure. nice. Yeah, for sure. But I mean. So the entire point of me talking to you uh, was the fact that you seem to exemplify what I'm trying to do with the jared.com, which is bridge the gap between geekdom and health and fitness. Yeah. So what was the impetus to start working out for you? What was that something 
that brought you to that? Was it always something that was part of your life? Did you discover fitness later on in life? Yeah, well, uh, I got to tell you, I, I kind of admire that greatly because there's always this, um, I, I admire that attitude of yours greatly because there's this, uh, there's this false dichotomy between, oh, well, you can be good at physical pursuits or you can be good at intellectual pursuits, right? Yeah. And it's a, it's a very false dichotomy, right? Totally. Um, I mean, even if you look at like the stereotypical high school or college jock, right, they have exceptionally high graduation rates and exceptionally high GPA, student athletes do, mm-hmm. right? And, and we're not talking about people who are going to go into the NFL. We're talking about people who fucking do crew rowing or they do, right. they do shit that like fencing like I did and they'll never have a chance of making it in the job as a real world, right? But, you know, being physically capable leads to a certain mental resolution and mental toughness that is universally applicable to all of life's, you know, tough situations, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been, I've been physically active for a very early, early age. You know, I'm quite stereotypically ADHD. Um, and, you know, I always find it very difficult. You can see here looking at my camera that I'm constantly fidgeting and shifting hands with my, my tea cup here and constantly being kinetic, right? And uh, that's an important outlet, I think. And... For me, that was an early outlet. It was an outlet at an early age because my my mom decided that well, we have to do something physical, right? And so she gave me sure. this choice. She gave me the choice between Boy Scouts and Taekwondo, and I chose <laughs> yeah. And I ended up choosing uh, Taekwondo, and that kind of led to a lifelong pursuit of martial arts, which continues to this day. Oh, we could talk um, for hours on that. Let me tell you, but yeah, <laughs> but keep going. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so that's that's been an important and vital part of my life, and. One of the only social outlets that I had as a kid was being in karate class as well. So well, that was that was an extremely important formative, uh, a formative part of my life, and you know it's continued and it's nonstop throughout my entire life. I don't think there's ever been more than maybe a month or two stretches where I've gone without exercising in some form, and it's usually because I've been you know injured once or twice quite seriously that I've stopped, um, and you know to me it's it's as natural as, as breathing. And I, you know, I understand that for many people it's not. Right. And that is often a source of, you know, shame or something of that nature because we invariably tend to compare ourselves to others, which is an unhealthy practice most of the time. Definitely. Um, but yeah, you know, to, to, to answer your question, you know, I started at a very early, early age and, and never stopped. Um, and I don't feel that it's ever been a choice that I've had between one or the other. Um, to be smart or to be studious and academic versus to be, uh, you know, well-versed in physical arts as well. I don't feel that I've ever had to, to choose between those two things in order to be, you know, to reach a goal or to be something, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, that we have a false concept. I don't know if it's cultural or if it's natural that way that there's this, you know, mind-body duality thing. Well, where are we? Where are we? There's a there's a brain and there's a body, right? And if you feed one, you starve the other, right? And it's right. not true, right? Because, you know, the brain and the body is, exist as an integrated whole together, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, they find that your your performance on intellectual pursuits increases with your performance in physical pursuits as well. Yeah. And so, supporting one invariably bolsters the other as well. It's a unity. Uh, you know, and they're intertwined, and your your tapestry of your life is woven between your physical capabilities and your mental capabilities. You can ask any smart person who died too young, uh, 
because they neglected that, right? Um, or don't ask them, look at any case study, sure. right? Um, and I'm not sure where your passion for, for this came from, but I first started to put the pieces together um, starting in around, if I get the year correctly, it was 2008 when I got a phone call from my grandfather to, to tell me that he had been diagnosed with stomach cancer. Mm. Um, you know, was that? I think it was 2006, actually. In okay. 2006 or 2007, and he actually passed away in mid-2008. And it was a very, very fast decline. Uh, and he was a person who had struggled with, um, with uh, a pathological relationship with food for most of his life. Gotcha. Um, and had not taken care of himself physically, but he was an absolutely brilliant physicist and a, a absolutely brilliant and man with an amazing life story, who mm. would still be around today. Uh, I feel strongly he would yeah. still be around today. Had he and he would still be around today to give myself and the rest of his family the blessing and the benefit of his presence continuing yeah. throughout the years had he minded more of the physical part of his life so that is kind of where my eyes started to put those two pieces together and that's where mm-hmm. i uh you know where my kind of passion for the same thing that you have uh came from so that's that yeah i i think you know where in readers of the site know this. I mean, my passion for this came from, uh, actually I started this site because of your sister. Um, mm-hmm. I went to a talk she gave a couple years ago at San Diego comic-con and I'm, I'm in the it industry as well, you know, slaving away on a regular sure. basis and everything. Uh, I've done martial arts my whole life and that's kind of been my thing. Um, but that was always a personal thing. Uh, just that I did myself. I didn't really talk about it to anyone else. It was mm-hmm. my home away from home. And I, I was listening to your sister and some other people she's worked with, Sandy Parikh and whatever, give talks um, about pursuing your passion and just just creating something that you can be proud of. And I started thinking about my job and I was like, well, I do enjoy my job and I'm very sure. good at it. It doesn't really, I don't see the benefit of it helping other people. And then I started putting the, the thought together in my, my mind. I have so many nerd friends I grew up with. Mm-hmm. who are always, you know, we're all in our 40s now and they're all complaining about how everything hurts and they feel like crap and they're telling me this while they're popping another two liter of Mountain Dew and my yeah. head wants to explode. And I said, you know what? Why not try to help other people? Yeah. Uh, and it's it's difficult to get through to people. And you mentioned it earlier. And this is one of the questions I definitely want to ask you. Um, this geek slash fitness barrier. And, right, you know, there I, is. I talk about it a lot, but... Why do you think that so many of our nerd brethren are so opposed to developing their bodies alongside their minds? What is that resistance? Yeah, you know, I got, actually got a, uh, I got a private message on Reddit a while back. Someone asked that exact same question. It was okay. very, very good. Um, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a almost pride and willful ignorance, and I think we mm. see this in the intellectual sphere, right? People are pridefully ignorant about things, so they don't want to follow evidence. That's certainly a huge problem. Sure. Uh, you see it every single day. People who don't want to follow evidence, people who don't want to look at facts and figures, or they follow a blind ideology instead of following uh, where research leads them and, and whole, you know, good faith research towards figuring out something, right? And it, it's so ironic that people, geeks, consider themselves so open-minded and they consider themselves so bookish and yet they are just as prone to hold on to 
positions out of pure ideology as anybody else is. And we're all susceptible to this kind of attitude. I certainly am. I've seen it in myself. And sure. you have to see it in yourself in order to guard against it. Because if you think that you're special, things start to happen that are very bad if you start thinking you're special somehow, right? Um, we're all special, but, <laughs> you know, I, not that's not the kind of special that I'm talking about, right, right? right? I'm talking special better, right? And that's that's the mindset that you have to guard against is you think you're special better than other people. Um, and I'm not talking better at something, too, because that's objectively measurable, right? But if you think that you're better in an ethereal, objective way of somehow, or you know what I'm saying, I do, right? I do. Uh, to me, there's this thing where the geek pursuits have been marginalized and looked down upon in a stereotypical way for so very long that you have a doctor's mallet to the knee reaction at the prospect of fixing or not fixing, that's a bit of a harsh way to put it, but pursuing physical interests. You say, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like that because I'm going to mistake correlation for causation and say right. that being interested in physical pursuits makes you a jerk. <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead of those things being strongly correlated sometime, I'm going to assume a causal relationship between the two. Um, I'm going to say that you are at dire risk of being a jerk if you're interested in physical pursuits, right? And so this is inculcated into you from a very, very young age and you just kind of live with it and it, you kind of marinate in it for decades, right? And you, you kind of turn a blind eye to the benefits, the, the salubrious effects of doing physical activity right. because you don't want to act like those people who might not have been that nice to you as a kid, right? Uh, that's, that's certainly one thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's also working out as exceptionally difficult, man. I mean... It's so fucking hard, and it's miserable sometimes when you're doing it, and it only feels good after you're done. And, you know, it's really hard to say, man, future me is going to be really happy that I did this and to stay the course on it when present you is saying, this is some shit I don't like doing right now, (laughs) right? And, and, And there's no acute physical, there's no acute misery like there is acute physical misery of any sort, whether it be wet and cold and shivering or, Mm -hmm. you know, halfway through a squat and you're running out of fuel, right? Intellectual pursuits are certainly painful in their own way, right? But definitely, it's a different kind of pain that it doesn't bring as immediate a reward as figuring a math problem out does. Like, oh, shit, I got it, man. This is fucking awesome, right? right? Instead, you just finish like a super set of squats and you feel like you're going to die, and you're panning on the floor, and then I've had people ask me, like, why the fuck do you do that? That doesn't look fun at all. And it's like, well, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, really really not fun. It's a hard-to-explain feeling of accomplishment. It's harder to explain than the accomplishment of of having completed a coding assignment well or having squashed a bug in your software, right? Right. Or having figured out a logic problem, you know, or, or a puzzle or a crossword, right? Um, and that's an enormous barrier, is to get people enthusiastic about that feeling and to say, this is the way that you feel reward, and this is the way that you feel righteous almost for having been doing this physical activity that's very difficult. It's a huge barrier, right? Um, it still is a barrier for me. I go into the gym all the time, and I'm like, boy, 
I really don't feel like doing this. What if I skip this last set? Or, you know, you start bargaining with yourself. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, what if I just uh, take it easy this week, right? Or what if I do this? And what if I do that, right? And And it's like these things are, these activities, you have to say, you have to look at the eyes of future you almost exclusively, right? Because it's not going to pay the bills for me to complete this squat. I don't want to fucking run this, you know, I don't want to write 50 unit tests for every line of code that I write. But I won't get paid if I don't, right? But I won't not get paid if I don't do this squat set. So it's a different motivation that you have to have as well. Then it has to be the future you motivation, like looking at you askance if you don't do it or giving you the thumbs up if you do it. Definitely. Uh, It's a huge barrier to overcome to get started. Oh, I I agree. I agree. I mean, nerds are... Here's the problem I I see with geeks and nerds. We're smart, so we're really good at rationalizing with ourselves. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's why why it's a lot harder to take the SAT when you're old for those fucking analogies. It's like, oh, you know, cardboard is to wind. I can say battleship is to schooner. I can rationalize that, right? But when you're like 16 and taking the SAT, it's like... There's this one answer that's very concrete, right? But if you're like 30 taking the SAT, you're like, <laughs> yeah, this is a valid answer. I can rationalize this, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and you get, a, you like get a lower score on the SAT than a 14-year-old or something. You're like, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, this, uh, SAT doesn't measure life skills. That's the, ex- <laughs> that's the excuse that I'll give. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So you, you had mentioned you know, getting started. I, I'm a huge yeah. proponent of finding ways to bridge the gap, especially the for hardest. people new to getting fit. It is, you know, if I, you know, we've mentioned it briefly, you know, I spend an inordinate amount of time practicing martial arts as well. So yeah. I always recommend things like if, if people are into martial arts movies or they're into playing street fighter or mortal Kombat, go take a Brazilian jujitsu class and get in the best sure. shape of your life. Or, you know, if you like, zombie movies go run the walking dead escape at san diego comic-con but what about you do you have any thoughts on what people can do to start off if the thought of going to a gym gives them a panic attack yeah i mean the the thing the thing over the the thing more than any one other thing that i've noticed when i've talked to people is is that they're incredibly afraid of the judgment of other people yeah like you if you're very unfit you hate the it's it's a loathsome idea for you even to set foot in the gym and right. risk being seen mm-hmm. right and and that if if being seen by another human being in your current state is that big of a hurdle then that is a gigantic hurdle to overcome right it is and, and i think the fear of judgment that is the that's the number one thing the number one obstacle that i've ever seen bar none it's like what will they say when they see me? Mm-hmm. Or what do they say when I'm, or a guy tells me one time, like, like I, I, I take him to free guest day at my gym with me. It's like, okay. come work out with me, man. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not completely non-judgmental, you know, like, and, and it's like, there's this incredibly fit uh, girl, just, you know, a gorgeous, gorgeous woman. She's a, a figure, she's actually a figure model, right? Um, but she actually prepares for, her figure competitions by actually doing powerlifting moves, right? Go figure, right? Okay. And so she's like sitting there deadlifting like double body weight or something like that. And and it's like this is more, far, far more than this friend of mine could even dream about doing right now. And it's right. just that that abject feeling of humiliation that comes mm-hmm. from pairing yourself to other people, right? Um, you know, and, and so I always say 
you know, go out and walk for 15 minutes, man. You know, start slow. You know, that's the key is that nobody hates walking, right? It's you do it every day. Mm-hmm. And just just walk, read a book while you walk, listen to a podcast, but just get out there and walk for 15 minutes, right? That's your that's your that's your daily dose for right now. It's like 15 if you're starting at bottom. You know, like I've I've worked with so many people who who are starting at bottom, right? It's like don't go do the boot camp thing. Just walk for 15 minutes, you know, and and listen to a podcast. And then just get the ball rolling, you know. Then walk for 20. And then if you're interested with it, I'm going to boil the frog. And I'm like, come to the gym with me one day. I'll show you one thing, right? And then we'll go out and eat fajitas afterwards without the tortillas, right? Right. And it's like, come do this with me. You know, you'll have a good time. I'll laugh along with you. And you're going to be doing, I'm going to be doing everything alongside you exactly as you do it. And and it's like you have to lead people by the hand. You have to be mm-hmm. exceptionally gentle and understanding and empathic about because it's the hardest thing to be empathic when you've been working out for your entire life and it comes native to you as a fish breathing water and you're saying, come jump into this water that I'm breathing. Oh, you just take a deep breath when your face is underwater. You'll be fine, right? And it's hard to see the collection of anxieties and feelings yeah. that are going through people's heads when they're beginners at this thing that you've been doing for so long. And so... For me, the trick has been uh, empathy and being mm. able to speak to these feelings of anxiety and shame, deep shame sometimes. Yeah, no, definitely. They've, because they know, and it's not a matter of being shredded. You know, it's really not. Not everybody is meant to be shredded. It's a genetic thing. Like, I'll, I'll never be as shredded as I want to be because I'm like, I'm like from big, stocky, Polish farmhand class, right? Right. It's like, it's like I'll never shoot hoops, ever. I'll never sprint. I'll never be a long-distance runner. I'll never be any of those things. But I can pick up a motherfucker and put him down on the ground real hard. And I can put my knee on his belly real hard, right? And I'll choke him out real hard, right? Because that's what I'm built to do right. is to like, cause people discomfort. But I'll never, sh- I'll never dunk a basketball. I'll never run a marathon. I'll never do any of that stuff. And I don't feel shame because of it because that's right. where I am right now. And uh, it's not what I'm interested in doing is any of those things. But I am interested in living a long life. I am interested in being there for my family and my friends and the people I love indefinitely into the future. I am interested in having the physical capabilities to help out people in need. I am interested in helping people out who cannot help themselves out. And I can only do that if I am in good shape. And I can only do that if I am, if if I have, you know, if I have done everything that I can to stay there, right? Mm -hmm. Those are my motivations. And those are four common motivations that anybody can understand. Not, Get your six-pack abs, right? That's right. That's a losing proposition, right? I- instead, it's about being able to speak to the deep feeling of of otherness that people feel in the gym, and the deep feeling of shame that they might feel for inside, knowing that they not might not make it to that 60th birthday, right? Yeah. As no. my as my as my other grandfather didn't because he had a heart attack, mm. right? And and it's about n- not having the physical capability to be there for the people who you love and, and understanding that and saying, let's just start slow and let's see where you go. You know, mm-hmm. let's, let's walk down this road together and let's not think about some indeterminate future state where you can dunk a basketball or have the six pack abs or the single right. digit body fat. You know, let's just have fun together as friends and I'll show you something that has brought a great deal of joy and happiness into my life. And I would really, really like to share that with you too. 
But let's just start off doing this one simple tiny little thing and let's see where it goes from here. And if you're not interested right now, man, I'll back off and I'll still be your friend and I'll still, you know, adore you as my friend as much as I ever have. But like, man, I sometimes I look and I'm sometimes I'm worried that I won't have you in my future, right? And and uh, sometimes I worry that we won't be able to to, you know, here I'm sitting here crying right now too because like this is how strongly I feel this stuff. No, you know? I preach it. I'm right and, there with you, man. And it's like, man, sometimes I'm afraid that I won't have you to like laugh along with. You know, you know when we're right. with old people, right? So it's like, let's do this, man. Come on, you know, 15 minutes, man. I'll walk with you. That's and, a, that's a great approach. Yeah. I, I love that. No, you don't have to be a sportsman, man. Nobody has to be a sportsman, but you do have to be able to be there for people. You know. Uh, you have to have that relationship, and you have to be able to keep those relationships for as long as you live. And and being physically healthy is incredibly important in that. And and if you can get people to understand that and get them saying yes and get them to nod along as you talk mm-hmm. about this, then you've got them, man. You know, you've got them, and you, then you find something that they'll like. Like, hey, man, do you like upper body stuff? Let's go kayaking on the lake, man. Let's slather on the sunscreen, and let's have a conversation and – Let's row a couple of miles, you know, and I'll do most of the work on the way back. Fuck it, you know. But we're just going to have a lot of fun together doing this new way of having fun together, right? Right, right. So, you know, not everybody's meant to play a sport. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't sell it to them like that, right? Mm-hmm. And instead, just be really earnest and say, man, you know, I would really like us to be friends for ever. That's, you know? that, that's and, a great way of putting it. I love that, you know, man. Because like sometimes, man, you know, I look at how you struggle sometimes and I'm like, I really worry that, that that's not going to come to pass. So will you let me sell you on something? Just let me let me tell you about something. And then it's up to them, you know? No, that's, so. that's, dude, that's fantastic. I, I love that philosophy. I mean, and you mentioned something that I've always struggled with, which is the the fact that people who are severely out of shape or or just were bullied so much as as children they suffer that innate shame of walking mm-hmm. into a gym and you know I want to tell them that everyone that's there working out is just worried about themselves working out no one yeah. gives a flying crap about you and most of them are going to are going to be encouraging for you to do that and sometimes I wonder if it's almost the one bad thing about the internet world nowadays is the internet is a vile place where everyone just tears down everyone else. And I think a lot of geeks think that that happens in real life in the gym and it doesn't. And I wish people would understand that. I mean, it's happened to, it's happened to, to women. Guys will say, Oh, you should squat this way. Right. But no, I've, in my gym, I've never ever come across a single example of shaming. People are there for themselves and themselves only, man. And it's like, no one cares. If anything, if anything, they're ad- admir- ad- ad- they're admiring you yes. for if you're in a bad shape, and they're like, "Fuck yeah, dude! You're 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 going places. You're you're tackling an important issue in life. You know, give me a high five, right? Exactly. And and you know, it's it's like the other problem is not only is the is the internet a vile fucking place, <laughs> but the internet is a wonderful fucking place where at the touch of a few keys. You can see the best person at the world oh. in the world at a certain activity yeah. doing that activity, and then you're you're shit compared to this guy, right? It's like, oh, 
I'm like, oh, I'm going to search some Marcelo Garcia videos and learn something, right? <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, he weighs 130 pounds. Oh, yeah. no. And Why like, isn't just, my ex guard that good? Damn yeah, it. I know. Yeah, I know. I can't, it's like, I don't want to watch any Marcelo Garcia videos because I'll never be as good as Marcelo Garcia, right? That's not the point of watching a Marcelo Garcia video, right? We are it's, going deep into the BJJ nerd yeah. cave here. <laughs> that, it, it's like it's like if you're like if you're searching like anything, how to do something, you're, there's going to be some dude who lives for it, and then you're going to be like, "I'll never be that good. Yeah. Like, might as well not do it at all." Oh, yes, yeah, the oh, I hate that mindset, but it's it's valid. A lot of people are like that. If they they get that, if I can't be the best, why do it at all? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just demoralized from it at, at the get go, and it's a yep. shame. Well, I mean, what. You keep mentioning going to the gym and kayaking and stuff like that. What is your fitness regimen like now? What do you do personally oh, to stay in shape? My fitness regimen is surprisingly minimal. Okay. And, uh, I I predominantly – I'm not doing BJJ right now because I was recovering from a shoulder injury. Uh, I should be going back imminently. Okay. Uh, it was actually a weightlifting injury. Um, but um, I essentially just do exclusively – resistance training and um uh i do cardio in the form of jump rope mm-hmm. uh, which is my very very favorite cardio bar none is uh is speed rope work just love it and uh mountain biking and road biking those are those are kind of that's it um i live about well i live close to a very major mountain bike park here in austin texas um so i'm within a few minutes ride of as much as i want to ride and awesome. I'm blessed. Um, and with my work being the way it has, I've been exclusively resistance training for the past two or three months. And I just do a split where uh, I do, because of my uh, shoulder injury, um, I had two uh, separated AC joints oh, wow. um, several, several years ago. Both of them were between grade two and grade three separations, um, courtesy of CrossFit. And um, uh, I could not do anything with my upper body for two, three years. So as a result, I do powerlifting moves, predominantly deadlift and squat with my lower body. Um, and I do a, uh, a machine-based protocol for upper body. Okay. And I also do weighted chin-ups as well mm-hmm. for vertical plane pull. Um, and for the upper body stuff, predominantly, I follow the the uh, super slow protocol laid out in Doug McGuff's Body by Science uh, using um, machines because okay. I honestly cannot handle free weights with my upper body anymore, unfortunately. Gotcha. Um, but I do love deadlifting and I do love squatting. They're just two of my favorite things to do. And how often, how often during the week do you work out? The lower body slow lifts I do uh, once per week each. Okay. Uh, do squat and deadlift one day a week each. Um, I work shoulder press and bench press twice a week each with different patterns. Uh, I do super slow once per week each, and I do a uh, a max load based protocol once per week on the way the week I do, do the other. So a super slow bench press, for example, and a uh, a super heavy shoulder press machine, or super slow uh, super slow shoulder press and super heavy bench. Okay. And then I'll do a Nautilus pullover machine. I'll do a row, and uh, I'll do weighted chin-ups on the day I do squat. So very simple. Um, if you if you count Simple's it, simple's good. If you count it, I do. I think five dis- distinct movements. That's it. 
nothing fancy, no kettlebell swings, nothing ballistic, um, just good form, good solid technique first, and then slow, steady, molasses, slow progress. So very simple. Nice. Yeah. Well, one of the questions I get a lot is how to stay on track with fitness, but more importantly, eating right at conventions. So since you seem to do a lot of conventions with Geek and Sunder now, do you have any tips on that front? Um, You have to do what Lyle McDonald calls, uh, and Alan Aragon, for that that matter. Um, You have to be willing to accept a lifestyle of, and I think this is... uh, this is Lyle's wording is flexible dieting. Mm-hmm. Um, is you can't think that the war is lost because of a single bad meal or even a short series of bad meals, right? The, the war is won through a long, long, long campaign that will go better and that will go worse sometimes, right? Right. Um, I mean, that said, the key is, of course, Chipotle. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Mexican restaurants in general... I would feel uh, offer a very good um, possibility of eating well. Uh, if you can't, you know, you have to pick your choose your battles, right? If you're at a convention for a week, you should probably find a plan of some sort. If you're there for a weekend, man, go nuts, dude. It's right. fine. You know, you'll just have to kind of make up for it and get back on track once you get back into town, right? But, you know, we're all adults here. You know, you can take personal responsibility for your decisions, right? Um, but just remember, future you is staring over your shoulder looking at what you're doing, and he's got a disapproving look on his face, future you does, right? And then present you is this kind of petulant little child going, I wanna! <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you have to indulge indulge your inner child a little bit, but, you know, there's always, there's always future you to contend with. And soon enough, man, future you is going to be present you looking back at past you, like, going, like, what the fuck was I thinking, man? You know, and, and, you know, don't have a full dessert. Have, like, two or three bites of the dessert, right? Right. You know, uh, get a small instead of a medium or a large, right? And you need far less food than you think you need. Um, That's an important uh, point, too, definitely. Yeah, it's like we have a very moralistic way of looking at, at ourselves. Like, being, being overweight or being out of shape is a moral failing of some sort, and it's just not true, Right. It's not a moral failing. It's not a failing at all. It's just a natural response to an environment that's energy rich and is increasingly few, uh, increasingly fewer opportunities for energy use. So you have an energy rich environment and you have an environment that's increasingly low energy use, right? So you have an imbalance between the available energy and the amount of energy you burn and you have to compensate for that in your diet, right? Mm-hmm. Because naturally, humans are like, you know, evolutionarily speaking, we're like meant to exist in times of famine, right? And so when you have a right. smorgasbord of cheap energy available to you, it's like, oh, well, winter is coming and I won't <laughs> be able to eat, right? So you consume and it's just not a moral failing. It's how you're wired as, a, as an animal. And if you weren't wired that way, then you would not have made it to this point as a species, so you're just being you. It's just being the animal, the human animal, right? So in terms of strategies for eating at cons, man, I'm, I'm as prone as anybody else to, to gorge, right? But the secret is, is that the food is not really that good. It's like, I remember BlizzCon, there was a Sbarro and there was a Del Taco, 
That was oh. the only. That was like the only two food choices. <laughs> oh dear lord! In like the entire Anaheim Convention Center, it was like a Del Taco and a Zabaro, and I'm like, well, here's a Sophie's Choice, you know? Like, <laughs> which way do I want my soul to die today? And I was like, it's. But the heartening thing was the line in front of Del Taco was far longer than the line in front of Zabaro because people know a better deal when they see it. Like Del Taco is not great, but it's still Mexican food, which is better than whatever Sbarro is, you know? Right, right. Um, so I kind of ate spaghetti and meatballs from Sbarro because I was like, I don't have the time to wait at Del Taco. And, you know, sure enough, I was like, future you, future me was like, you're going to feel like shit. And then like 10 minutes later, present me was future me, and I was like, oh, I feel like shit. <laughs> like, past me, why did you do it? Past me, I'm tremendously disappointed in you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the mental dialogue everyone goes through that's ever eaten at a Sbarro. So yeah, that's true. But I, you know, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of being really tongue in cheek here with the shame, you know, because it's not it's not a shame thing. It's like you got to eat. It's just like, yeah. well, this is really bad food, but you have to have energy to take you through the con, and you have to. It's better than being starving, and and it's just, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. You know, just just be cognizant of what you're doing, and it's like, well. I'm really hungry right now, so I'm going to do this. It's not like I'm really craving Sbarro, you know? It's like this is a necessary step to <laughs> right. my convention experience, you know, and the enjoyment thereof, so, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, and I, and I appreciate that because that's one mm -hmm. of the things I always struggle with. It, that literally is, I think, my biggest question that I get is people saying, yeah. I just started, and now I have three conventions coming up what the hell do I do? I think that's a really reasonable way of putting it. So I appreciate that, man. Count your calories, man. Don't be shameful. Don't be shamed. Uh, love yourself. Be gentle with yourself. Be understanding with yourself when you slip. Don't be, don't be sitting in moral judgment like eating at Sbarro means something about your essence as a human. Well, no, maybe that is. Maybe Sbarro is <laughs> a bad example. Yeah. If you eat at Sbarro, you're a bad person, you know? But no, like... <laughs> Seriously. I'm you know, never going to get that Sbarro uh, endorsement that I wanted. Oh, exactly. my goodness. You'll be a Sbarro patch on, like, the Mighty Jerd by Sbarro. So, welcome to, welcome to Sbarro's Mighty Jerd. Yeah. Uh, no, um, okay, so never sit in moral judgment of yourself for having slipped up a little bit, right? You know, yeah. tomorrow's another day. Every day is a clean slate. You're going to have to compromise when you're in a convention center and every food available is made to be cheap, easily shippable, and consumable in mass quantities. You're not going to be getting a French laundry at the Anaheim Convention Center, right? You're not going to be getting some hipster, big, bushy, bearded dude making you a bespoke meal out of healthy, farm-fresh ingredients. It's just not going to happen, right? You're setting yourself up for failure, right? <laughs> so just make the best choice you possibly can. Uh, air towards the side of high protein. Uh, and, uh, you know... Look at the menu, look at the nutritional information, find the highest protein thing on the menu. Uh, I would, during con season, I would go high protein, high carb, low fat. And I'm generally in the low fat camp myself for weight loss in general uh, because it works for me with my activity level. Sure. Um, but yeah, don't be sitting in negative moral judgment of yourself because of a failing you might have. Love yourself. Be gentle with yourself, right? We're all human here. We're all in it together. And, and it, the, harder you are, the harder you are on yourself, the more likely it is that you're going to fail if you see 
some moral failing in yourself, right? Just say, I'm a human animal and I ate the tasty processed carbs because that's how we're wired. <laughs> there you go. Love yourself, man. Be can't, gentle with yourself. Can't argue with that. Yeah. So I want to, we have some questions from the Geek and Sundry uh, community that I want to get to. But, but before we do, you know, you obviously have a successful career as a software developer. Uh, what brought about your show on Geek and Sundry, Co-Optitude, which is fantastic, by the way. I absolutely Thanks. love it. Thank you very um, much. And, and the urge to twitch and all that. Where did that come from? Was that your sister's influence or did you go to her and say, hey, I kind of like what you're doing. Can I get in on this craziness? I mean, where did it all come be, from? So to be honest, I guess the, the twitch thing is completely separate to the, the co-optitude thing. Hmm, um, okay. I, uh, I was visiting Los Angeles for holiday. It might have been Thanksgiving. I don't even remember, remember at this point. And she was filming uh, a show, The Flog, which mm -hmm. has just returned. And uh, I was just hanging around doing nothing, and she and Sean Becker, who uh, directed the the, uh, the the flog and and several other features at the time, and the Guild, by the way, uh, Sean's brilliant. Uh, he were like, "Let's just play a video game on the flog. We'll make it a small three minute segment on the flog." And uh, people really liked it, and so we did it again on the flog. I think we had two episodes in the flog. One was Golden Axe, I think mm -hmm. was the first one. I believe. It was Battletoads was another one that okay. was uh, on the flog. I might be misremembering, but people liked it, and so we just spun it off onto its own show. Um, and so that that it's been going, I guess, for over two years now. It's geez, so hard to to think about right now. It's like th I think three years uh, wow. we've been doing this show. It's amazing. Um, it's been really really fun. Over a hundred episodes now. Can you believe it? That's uh, really. Oh, oh my god! I didn't realize there were that many. That's crazy. They're they're easy, cheap to film, man. And it's just every two months I go out and we spend a weekend filming eight episodes, and that's that. So that's where the show came from. Um, Twitch, Twitch is an entirely different animal. I, I was on my, and I just got to pat myself on the back here. I've been on my sister's ass to do Twitch for years. Like, really? For, okay. Yeah. Like I've been watching Twitch streamers, you know, just because it's like it's like you're talking to someone, and I I, I would put a Twitch stream on while I was working because I had a work at home job mm -hmm. at the time. And it was like having someone in the room with me talking with me, right? Um, and so I would just leave a Twitch stream on in the background while I worked. And it was a great background filler, right? And some of the Twitch streamers were genuinely great entertainers. Um, and so like, I was like, you should do Twitch. You should do Twitch. You should do Twitch. And so uh, I think it was last October. It's coming up on the one-year anniversary of, uh, of our Twitch streams. Um, we got together and we, uh, we did – this is where Team Human comes from, of course. Okay. Uh, we did a game called Damned and we played with some of the viewers and – you know, I, I guess I ad-libbed the word human and the people who were in the audience ran with it and it is what it is today, which is an amazing, wonderful, accepting community full of awesome people. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the Twitch story is it's a bit of a chaotic one. Uh, I would like to do it far more than I do mm. and I'm trying to, you know, wrestle the time to do so. Uh, it's always the struggle, isn't it? It is. It is the struggle. So that's, that's the Twitch stream story. Um, huh, that's interesting. You know, because I one of the things I've always admired about your sister and the entire team behind Geek and Sundry is their ability to kind of surf the fickle nature of online communities. Uh, so Twitch just I don't I don't know. It seemed like the natural progression of things almost. So that's yeah. interesting to me. And, and I it gotta, is it is very interesting because Twitch is particularly and uniquely toxic. 
YouTube comments are unbelievably <laughs> are a cesspool, right? <laughs> but you know, it, it, was it is it uh, is it Tolstoy? I think is like the opening lines of one of his books was that all happy families are alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own special way, or, or something like that. It was like Anna Karenina or something like that. Like, uh, you know, Twitch and YouTube are toxic in their own special way. Twitch chat is unbelievably toxic and edgy, but the geek and sundry community just isn't because yeah. we we are selective. Nobody, everybody says that you know, come one, come all, right? But the least common denominator will generally win in those situations, right? And so, mm -hmm. like, we kind of unapologetically call the audience, right? Like, I know if someone is toxic, toxic in my chat, my mods have full carte blanche to just cut them out immediately. Yeah. I, I can't remember ever seeing anything negative in any of your Twitches or your sisters. It's it's shocking, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, it's 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 done two things. One, it has drastically limited the size of the audience. <laughs> and two, it has drastically increased the diversity and the quality of the audience. Right? And and that's just my personal feeling. Other people might disagree, particularly those who have been kicked, <laughs> I suppose, or banned. But I, I feel that it is and this is my hope for it. If it's not this, if I'm just being very Pollyannish, then please send me a Twitch message and set me straight and let me know what I can do. But it has become a safe haven for a very diverse group of people yeah. who might otherwise have shied away from interacting in this way with people online. That is kind of my mission statement, to be honest with you. If I had to say that's my mission statement for my personal Twitch stream, I can absolutely not speak for Zach or Geek and Sunder, you know, sure. Like speaking for my own Twitch stream, is that you know I greatly value the the mods who seem to be in lockstep with my own manner of thinking, even though I've never formally briefed them on anything or my thought processes. Hmm. They just okay. seem to be psychically linked to me somehow in terms of what kind of audience I want to cultivate. Uh, and everybody, everyone in my audience has just been supportive of each other. And empathic, compassionate in the extreme. And that is exactly the kind of thing that I'm looking for in an online community. And I hope that it's what many people who have not had the opportunity to find their tribe, maybe if they're looking for that, they'll stumble upon us as well. So that's yeah. kind of where I'm at with Twitch. The, the nicest people, you know, everyone I've ever met that's either a part of the Geek and Sundry forums or Team Human or anything else the literally nicest people I've ever met in my life. It's just a For fantastic sure. group. And speaking yeah. of that group, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of <laughs> questions. There's a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to fire some of these off. I, now, yeah. the, I'm not going to get to them all because I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, but let's start off with Toronto gal, who is oh. a fantastic mod, a fantastic yeah, ambassador. Yeah. yeah. She's, Toronto, yeah. she's wonderful. So a couple of questions she had, um, and this is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. If Ryan didn't end up being homeschooled, yeah. in what ways does he think he'd have turned out the same? And in what ways does he think he'd be different? I don't know. In jail or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel that I feel that I either it could have gone either way. I could have either done really well in school, um, but given the quality of the schools where we were, which was one of the impetuses behind not homeschooling, between it was one of the impetuses impeti for homeschooling me and my sister was the quality or lack thereof of the schools and the, the 
the poorest state in the union, specifically Mississippi. Ooh, uh, okay. So, you know, the, the schools there were less than good. Um, if I was exposed to that environment, I'm not sure what it would have happened to me. Um, I, I, don't, I doubt it would be anything good. Uh, I might have found a tribe of people who would have been fostered the same kind of enjoyment, but given that it was Mississippi in the 80s and 90s, no, I don't think so. Right. I'm, I'm not sure what would have happened to me. I'm sure there are lovely people who turn out from that environment, but I'm naturally, I'm naturally defiant. I'm naturally, I have a very oppositional personality. I have a very dim view of most authority figures, uh, and that's not a very good combination in public school, right? You know, I like to be the gadfly. You know, right. I typically, I typically don't put up with bullshit from people, you know. Uh, and so I think that I probably would have gotten expelled or something like that because there's nothing I hate more than authority figures that misuse their their positions, right? And and that's like that's that's kind of public school life for you is doing rote, stupid, retarded shit. Uh, and please excuse me for using the word retarded. Uh, it's not a not a good thing to say. Um, you're just doing meaningless, dumb, rote activities to keep kids busy, mm-hmm. uh, so they're not causing trouble. And you know, I, I think I would have probably acted out a lot, so that wouldn't have bode well for my public school career. <laughs> I ended up getting my GED at 17 and going to community college. <laughs> so, well, there you go. Yeah. And she also wants to know: Is there any genre of video game that you simply can't get into or don't enjoy very much? I'll tell you something. Uh, I was one of the best Doom players in the country in the 90s. If there had been an eSports back then, I would have probably made a name for myself. Um, I used to love first-person shooters. Team Fortress 2, okay. Unreal Tournament. Uh, what was some more? Um, the Battlefield 2 was one of my favorite games of all time, bar none, just because of the teamwork and the different roles that you could play, Medic and things like that. Team Fortress 2, one of my favorite games. But man, I'll tell you what, these days... I just cannot do first-person shooters, shooters. Really? Just can't do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Mass Effect is a notable exception, but that's not really a first-person shooter, I don't feel. Right. Right? Just things like Call of Duty. Um, I just don't like, in general, I don't like gratuitous you know, bloodshed, and I don't like gratuitous killing these days. As much as I used to, you know, <laughs> right. if it's if it's in service of storyline or it's in service of telling a story or things like that, yeah, sure. But the if the if the object of the game is to kill an endless waves of of of, of humans, particularly if they are somehow the enemy flavor of the week, be it Middle Eastern or probably Chinese, coming up here in the near future for. And, and if, if the game is a thinly veiled advertisement for, for jingoistic escapades in different parts of the, the world, I, I can't be on board with that anymore. I, I don't like Grand Theft Auto either. I don't like mm. open world havoc simulators. And if you like it, man, more power to you. But it's not my cup of tea. I don't okay. want to be able to beat up a prostitute just because I can beat up a prostitute. It's not, not something that I would see as something that I would want to do in my spare time outside of work is beat up a prostitute or steal a car or or be a bad person. I don't like postal, that game postal or mm-hmm. that game yeah. what's the what's the new one uh that just got released that's specifically about killing innocent people? Like that's oh, the, the, the I can't, um, oh, what's the name of it? I don't 
You know, I didn't want to give a press. Okay. Yeah, I know the one you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, it's just like, man, if you like it, go for it, man. Whatever nurtures your soul, but like that stuff, I don't have time for anymore. You know, and, and no, I do my fair share of killing in video games, man. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've got a very high body count, but there's some things that I just don't want to do. Gotcha. You know, and then you know, Havoc simulators and the latest generation of FPSs just seem to me to be turned up to 11 too much, you know? They're gotcha. too edgy. It's too edgy. Like, how awful can we be? Is How awful a person can we put into their shoes, you know? You know, how awful a person can we make your avatar? And, and right. it's a losing proposition for me personally. It's just me. Okay. You know, no judgment on anybody who likes sure. it. So. All right. Well, Potter Natural 67 wanted to ask, how would you describe... Your oh, he's the life. one. He had pink Comic Sans, didn't he? Yes, I, I read tr- these lessons. Yeah, I'm okay, trying yeah. to read it, and my eyeballs are bleeding right now. Yeah, I, I could tell you had difficulty, and that was why. Yeah. <laughs> How would you describe yourself and your life in three words? Three words, Ryan. <laughs> um, I'll try harder. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No, but seriously, that's that's exactly that's exactly it. It's like, man, you fail every single day of your life, man. Everybody does. It's like, oh fuck, dude, I could have done that better. Or like, oh shit, dude, that that was a shit show. It's like better luck next time. If, if if it was four words, it would be better luck next time. But since I was down to three, it was like, I'll try harder if it's the bill. I right? like it. I like yeah. it. All right. Yeah, because every every day you're gonna fail, and every day you have to try harder instead of giving up. Every day. That's deep. It's yeah. deep. <laughs> he he also wants to know what is your biggest dream about the future or. If you can change something from the past, what would it be? Well, I'll address the latter question first. So the thing is, is that you can't go through life believing that your success or your failure hinged on one, one pivot, right? You know, certainly there's like the billiard ball analogy where it's like, okay, you have a long shot down a billiard table, right? And you, there's the ball right in front of the pocket. You're going to hit the cue ball. The cue ball hits the eight ball and everything else to you, right? So... You know, if you have a small error in the aiming of your cue ball, it will magnify across the distance of the billiard table, right? And so you wildly miss your target. But the li- life's not like that, man. You know, life is an infinite series of intermediate steps. And by the time that you live another year or you live another day, you might not have wanted to hit that ball into the pocket anyway, right? So, yeah, I, I don't believe in this one single decisive moment analogy of life, right? And my cat is just not shutting up. <laughs> um, viewers of my Twitch stream will recognize the I'm about to drink water meow, um, which she is about to drink water, and she is. But no, life doesn't hinge. Uh, well, you know, things like car wrecks sometimes, you know, there are big, big moments, right? Like there are big, grand sure. moments, right? But by and large, it's a series of intermediate steps where you refine your aim towards intermediate goals, right? If you're trying to shoot a long, long shot down the billiard table of life, chances are, you know, your your interests and your goals will have changed by the time that shot became became relevant down the line. Um, now, what was the what was the first part of that question? Uh, he wanted to know, you know, what's what was your biggest dream about the future? I mean, quite honestly, I never as when I when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I'd never. I honestly never believed in myself enough to think that I would have made it to the point where I am right now. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, I've I've achieved far more already 
than I ever thought that I would achieve when I was 16, 15, 16, 17, you know? I, I never thought that I would get to the point where I am now. Being interviewed by somebody? What? <laughs> I never, like, like, I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that being something that would have happened, you know, when I was a teenager, you know? And, and, and it's like, every day is a blessing, man. And none of my dreams that I had when I was 16, 17, or even in my mid-20s are even relevant now, you know, to be honest with you. Sure, sure. Uh, and, and that's kind of why I say, you know, that I've had more than my fair share of letdowns. I've had, you know, a lot of tragedy and a lot of bad situations in my life. A lot of them visited upon myself, you know, by me. And uh, ultimately, a lot of them have come out in the wash as life has gone on. Um, and I've never hung on to that single decisive dream about what my life should be and should become. Other than generalities, like to be happy, to be long-lived, to be surrounded by people who I love and cherish, you know, to be kind and nurturing towards others. And even those dreams have been of recent vintage. Hmm. You know, I used to be a very, very self-centered person. I used to be kind of a prick, not just kind of a prick, but a total prick to be other people, you know. I used to be a very, very typical online troll of the type that you see online these days, although they've become far more toxic and harmful these days than they were when I was a teenager. Um. And and even these dreams, just generic dreams of of like just health and wealth in the in terms of friends and family and and relationships that are meaningful, you know, these are things that have become to appear in my life in the past five to six years, you know, mm. and and that's things that have made me more happier than any materialistic dream or very very shallow type dream that I might have had two decades ago or so. You know what I mean? I do. I do. So your perspective on life should change measurably every year that you're on the planet. And that's certainly been the case for me. So there's a long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> that's and fantastic. If, you, if you've listened to my answer, if you listen to my interview with uh, uh, Stephen over at Geek Apocalypse, my answers were equally as long-winded when he was interviewing as well. So <laughs> there's no such thing as a simple answer. I'll track that down. I'll put a link to that then in, in yeah. the article as well. S Steven's Marvelous. Absolutely. Yeah. Geek Apocalypse. Spectacular. All right. Well, Blair Beveridge wants to know, why are you so good? Oh, <laughs> I guess some things do come naturally and not through hard work. <laughs> no. <laughs> no uh, you know, um, it's been res being responsive to feedback that other people have given me throughout my life. Like, hey, man, you're really fucking up. Or, hey, man, you've really offended me with this statement. Or, my life situation has changed in a way that you find very challenging to accept, can you still accept me? And being able to say, yes, I can look inside and shift the right gears in the right way and thereby change myself in positive but measurable ways mm. every single day of your life and say, well, here's the decisive question that I have to ask myself at any given juncture. Is this going to result in net happiness for myself and those around me? Am I going to be more accepting and compassionate towards other people as a result of making this change? And am I going to understand other people and myself better as a result of trying to change this thought process? If being, a, being good isn't an event, being good is a process. So I guess I have a good process. And if other people think I'm so good, and I realize that Blair is talking about an in-joke 
that I'm taking entirely too seriously. <laughs> but there's the answer right there. And another question he asked about fitness is, you know, yeah. what type what type of exercise do you particularly hate? And you already spoke about the ones you love, but do you have any exercises yeah. you just can't stand? I mean, like I said, I'll never dunk a basketball. I'll never run a marathon. And I'm far more interested in dunking a basketball than I am running a marathon. I'll never swim really well. I'll never run a try. I guess I'm not that drawn to long distance hmm. aerobic type activities. I like kind of bursty, sprinty, quick movement type things. Um, and I'm not drawn to things like marathons and tries. But hey, some of the best athletes on earth, you know, bar mm-hmm. none. Guy can run 26.2 miles about as fast as I can ride my bike. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Good for them, but that's not me. You I, know what I mean? I'm, oh, I do know. I'm right there with you running. Yeah. yeah, not my thing. But I know Blair is an avid runner, so you probably just crushed him. Good for him. him, man. No, it's good, man. <laughs> good for you. Outrun my ass, I mean, that's for sure. But that's good. You I mean, by all means, do what nurtures you, you know? Let's see. Next up, Yakumo Fuji asks, what is the single most defining moment in your life? Already covered. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe the decision to uh, take Taekwondo instead of the Boy Scouts, like I okay. referred to earlier in the conversation. That was pretty fucking instrumental. Um, uh, I, th- I said to myself, if I uh, got into UT after I got my GED and went to community college, I did end up going to the University of Texas. Uh, if I had not, it was actually the only school I applied for. So <laughs> I, put, I put all my eggs in the cheap state school basket and I got in. Um, it's actually a very difficult school to get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I hadn't gone to community college, I wouldn't have gotten in because I didn't go to high school. And UT is required to accept the top 10% of all Texas high school students. Oh, okay. And that doesn't leave very many open positions after that's... Uh, gotcha. After those are for. So I said I would have joined the military if I hadn't gotten accepted. So, I mean, that was pretty pivotal, getting accepted to okay. UT. So. All right. Farlander wants to know, if you could hack the Matrix to instantly <laughs> download expertise yeah. in a martial art you haven't previously studied, what would it be? Yeah. Oh, I haven't previously haven't. studied. Oh. Um, man, that's a pretty good one. Um, I mean, you know, I've talked... I've waxed poetic at length about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before. I mean, if I could download Marcelo Garcia's into my head, you know, that would be awesome. But since he put the qualifier on there, um, I mean, I've always been, uh, I've always been interested in like Kendo, you know, that stuff is really, really cool. Ayato, those guys are really neat. Judo. Judo is be good. Ronda Rusi, you know, she's a, she's a judoka. So who can deny the efficacy of her her stuff in mixed martial arts. So, I would say one of those two, judo or ayato or kendo. Nice. One of those two. Yeah. Okay. And last one. Uh, this one's from a Garcia zero seven three zero. Are you fluent in another language? And if not, what language would you choose to learn? I mean, I can I can kind of get by in Spanish, and I know a very little bit of Portuguese because my uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu instructor is is uh, is Brazilian. Okay. Um, uh. I would really, really love to speak either of those two languages fluently. Um, I live in Texas. I consider myself Texas native. I've been here about 23 years. Hmm. And we have a very, very rich uh, Hispanic heritage. Uh, our state was once Mexico, of course, that we, sure. we took it from, from Mexico. 
and we have a, a absolutely incredible uh, heritage from that province, uh, providence of, of being a, a former Mexican territory. And um, it would be really, really cool to be able to partake in that more deeply than I do now. Same thing, I would, I would absolutely love to speak Portuguese. I mean, it would be really, really cool to read uh, 100 Years of Solitude in Spanish and in, in, in its original language. It would be really cool to read Pablo Neruda in his native tongue as well. So, you know, I would say Spanish or Portuguese. And German's pretty sweet, too. I, I really do like German. Okay. So, but probably Spanish, just because it would be of amazing use to me right. that I live in Texas. So. And he also says thanks for your time and energy oh. spent with the human community. So. My pleasure. Absolutely. If anything, they've enriched me far more than I have contributed to them. So. And I always like to play a quick flash round of nerd questions to yeah. people before I wrap things up. Are you game? On the spot. Yeah, let's go. All right, let's do it, man. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, Star Trek. Favorite superhero? Uh, favorite superhero, um, uh, Green Lantern, for sure. Nice. PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation. I, I, am, don't, I don't own one, but I was just I was saying uh, uh, Burr's um, Ian uh, on Team Human, he was puzzling over this, and I said I own 360 and Xbox One, and I spent a lot of time at, at Animagus' house playing on the PS4, so I got to say PS4. <laughs> yeah. All right. Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter? Um, Street Fighter. American or Japanese RPGs? Oh man, American. Just because of Ultima, that's where I come from. That's okay. my that's my roots. Dragon Ball Z or Pokemon? Uh, Pokemon. Just because of the videos that my sister and I did. <laughs> who, who who they 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 uh, mortify any real Pokemon fans. So consider that a tongue in cheek answer. And speaking of your sister, Felicia Day or Jace Hall? Um. I got to go with the blood. Blood is thick in the water. Oh, what a cop out. What a cop out. <laughs> uh, she'll, maybe, maybe she'll watch this and she won't beat me up. So. <laughs> and to bring it back around to fitness one more time, your favorite single exercise? My favorite single exercise, probably bar none, uh, the squat, properly executed parallel squat with heavy weight. None better. Can't argue with that. Yeah. Can't argue with that. Well, you've been so generous with your time and I, I don't uh, want- yeah, this has been a long time coming, and I've really enjoyed, you know, if you would like to collaborate on anything in the future, just please look me up, man. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, and it sounds like you and I have uh, identical thought processes in terms of this stuff. So it's been, a, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, and I really do appreciate your time. Dude, I, I appreciate that, man. But yeah. Before we wrap it up, do you have any final words of encouragement for the audience, whether it's about fitness, life yeah. balance, or some creative endeavor, anything you want to leave them with? Be kind to yourself. Love yourself. Uh, be accepting of yourself for who you are. That doesn't mean you have to be completely happy with yourself. It doesn't mean you have to be happy with where you're at right now. But you should definitely love yourself, take care of your own needs, practice good self-care, be compassionate, kind, and empathetic towards other people. And success will follow. And uh, that's, really, that's really all I have is just be, be loving and kind to yourself no matter where you're at, no matter what physical condition that you're in. And no matter if you're in a bad place in life, always, always, always be kind to yourself and always, always be kind to others because they are fighting their own battles too. And that's that. Man, that's fantastic stuff. Well, well that's it, folks. That's a little bit of a look into the geeky life and mind of Ryan Day. I, I hope you got some inspiration out of it. I know I did. Um, you, you all already know how to get a hold of me, the social media. I'm at the Mighty Jerd pretty much everywhere. But make sure you're following Ryan across 
basically across all the inner Google tubes because supporting people who promote a positive and healthy space on the internet is important. So where can people find you, Ryan? Um, I'm probably most active on Twitter. It's Ryan underscore D. That's R-Y-O-N underscore D. Uh, I'm on Instagram. You can find all of that stuff linked on my Twitter account or just okay. tweet at me. I, tr- I read everything that I get. Every single Twitch message, every single tweet I read. I don't have time to respond to them all, but I do read everything. Uh, the place I'm probably second most active is on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash Ryan Day, one word, R-Y-O-N-D-A-Y. Um, and yeah, that's probably your best bets. Uh, Twitter, I'm very active on. So you know, tweet at me. Uh, let me know what's the haps. So. <laughs> Sweet. Well, you heard him, folks. Tweet at him. Tweet at me. <laughs>